Hi, I'm Dr. Steve Elias, and welcome to The Vein Podcast. Respect the elders, embrace the new, and encourage the improbable and impractical without bias. This podcast is one that probably none of us ever thought we were... What the hell are you doing here, Tony? Those of us thought that we'd never really uh, have to do. Uh, but because of the COVID crisis, we thought it's it's important to discuss an issue that uh, we've had to deal with. And um, maybe in the end, it may have been a good thing uh, in terms of uh, what we're going to talk about. And what we're really talking about is going to be how has Venus education uh, been impacted? We've had postponed meetings, canceled meetings. Uh, people are doing a lot of e-learning, and we're going to get into that as as well. And we'll talk a little bit about maybe some future implications that may really permanently change what's going on. With us today is uh, Tony Gasparis uh, from uh, Stony Brook University in New York. Uh, Nikos Labrapos, also from Stony Brook. Kush Desai, Northwestern University in um, Chicago, and Stephen Black from London, St. Thomas and Guy's Hospital uh, as well. And everybody here either runs meetings, such as Tony and Nikos. Uh, they're uh, the co-directors of the Venus Symposium. Stephen Black has a big influence organizing the whole Venus section of Charing Cross. Kush is very involved with the SIR uh, meetings. And then all of us help each other out on all the meetings. And and. Thus far, guys, Charing Cross has been canceled. Venus Symposium, has, as of this date, has been postponed. SIR was canceled. Uh, but once we kind of got over it, um, we do need other things. So first I want to ask Tony and Nikos, when, when you first had to deal with this in terms of not being able possibly to run the meeting, certainly in April, but um, even you have it scheduled in July, what did you guys think in terms of how you can still educate people? What were some of your thought processes you went through? Look, first, Steve, all of us, we need to adapt in the new conditions. Having a meeting, obviously, is a public threat and it could not go on. Therefore, we have to go to the virtual world and you know, embrace the e-learning. And clearly, we've tried that in, in our medical school with a great success. Uh, with formalized teaching, but I'm sure this is easily applicable to the rest of the planet. Therefore, we did a first effort with a webinar uh, that uh, some of you participated two weeks ago and continue this way to educate people in an active manner. And uh, obviously, the world is totally different. We need to evolve more. Yeah, so t Tony, take me a little bit through some of the actual you know, uh, technical, logistical issues when you move over to uh, an e-learning uh, rather than, you know, planning a uh, live meeting? Um, you know, obviously, uh, it's easier for attendees uh, to participate in these uh, versus traveling and expenses of going to meetings. On the downside, um, I'm not sure how well uh, attendees would, you know, be able to sit on a virtual meeting um, for a day or two continuously. Uh, that's one of the challenge. I mean, as far as technically, t technology is there. Um, Zoom and there's other platforms out there uh, exist. They haven't been used as widely uh, in the medical education field, but uh, definitely in other fields uh, is being used. And actually, 
you know, we just need to educate ourselves and figure out how to utilize these in order to be able to get the material out to attendees and in a format that they would be able to absorb that information uh, easily. Yeah, so Kush, what, what do you think is the uh, kind of the attention span of someone's, someone's motivated to, to listen and learn? Uh, you know, when you're sitting in, in your office or in your home, what, what do you think we have to think about if we're going to be moving to obviously e-learning in some manner or means? You know, it's a, it's a great question. You know, when you have a captive audience in front of you live, um, there's a natural moderation to who's at the who's at the podium, who's at the microphone, and there's some interactivity to it. And that's a, probably a little bit more difficult in the, the digital realm where you have people from all over the world, different time zones, not adapted. And, you know, it's hard to know who's asking the question and who's not, and then really just capturing everyone's attention. But I think what's playing in the favor, and specifically to answer your question, what's playing in our favor is that there's such, there, there's really one thing occupying most of our minds in the news cycle, which is the COVID crisis. And getting back to what we love, venous disease, and educating about venous disease is a respite. It's a way for people to kind of escape the monotony, sometimes the tragedy of what's going on every day in our lives and come back to what they love and what they want to get back to once life gets back to a little bit normal. So I think we can play on that and we provide an outlet for people to really, um, you know, continue their venous education and to think about something different than what may be going on at work. All right, but Kush. You didn't answer the question I had, <laughs> which was, no, that was a good answer. About, but what do you think is the, um, the attention span? What, when do you think, if we're going to do this, uh, how long do you think people can, can take in information? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you got to stop and then say, okay, come back tomorrow if you'd like to hear more information. Yeah, so you can't, I don't think you can do the normal five talks and then a question answer. That's just not going to work. Um, I think the tension span in a digital space is probably a little bit more limited. And, you know, people are doing it at home and with kids or whatever, it's more difficult. So maybe one talk and then a lot of interactivity to keep people engaged. Yeah. So, Stephen, uh, Charing Cross, it took them a while to, to decide they weren't having it. Um, can you give us some idea about they kind of like went all the way to the very end until it was like, all right, it's obvious we just can't do it. So what one, what made that decision? And I know maybe you weren't involved completely in that decision. And then secondly, uh, what are you guys planning in terms of uh, online uh, learning? Uh, so <laughs> to be totally clear, I had uh, zero involvement in the decision making on when uh, Charing Cross was suspended or postponed. Um, you know, Charing Cross is a unique meeting. It's it's always been uh, very much uh, run by by Roger and the central team, and and their decision making is is important. And I think uh, at this junction, it's also useful um, to acknowledge that uh, Roger's wife passed in the last week and. Obviously, my thoughts are with him and his family. Uh, she died from COVID-related disease. So, uh, you know, it's a difficult time for everybody. And I think uh, you, when you're running a big meeting um, and you're trying to make decisions about cancelling and so forth, uh, when you committed to uh, 
the finances and the logistics that are involved, I think it's exceptionally difficult to know what timing and what judgments need to be made. I think the other thing we do need to understand in the world at the moment, regardless of whether we're running virtual symposium or actual meetings, is the moral tone of what we're trying to set, is that uh, it's quite clear that virtually everybody is is dragged into fighting a global pandemic disease, and uh, it's disrupted uh, teams, it's disrupted uh, everybody from managers to nurses to staff. And, and I think very few people right now are thinking to themselves, gosh, what I'd really like to be doing is is being at a meeting. What 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 they are thinking is is how do we get out of this absolute disaster that we are facing? And I think whatever we deliver at the moment has got to be conscious and cognizant of the of the of the tone that we're setting about uh, how are we supporting people through this as leaders in the field, not necessarily driving an agenda that is about uh, sustaining a meeting or sustaining a, a business or anything else because everybody is going to suffer. So, Charing Cross, um, I, I, I'm not entirely clear on what the, the next step is. There's been some talk of trying to run the meeting as a virtual meeting, but I think it's quite obviously clear that very few people have the time to record their talks and submit those to Charing Cross. So, and I, for one, this is probably the first day now that it's Good Friday that, that we've had pause for thought in, in four weeks of, of a full-scale uh, change, uh, you know, our, our hospital, like you guys in New York, has been, you know, significantly hit by COVID. We're doing no vascular surgery at all. I mean, that's including large aneurysms. Uh, you know, the only things we're doing are acute limb-threatening ischemia and COVID-negative patients with some considerable difficulty. We've we've done six vascular operations in in, in the largest vascular units in, in in the UK in four weeks. So I think uh, the, the difficulty of organising a large meeting is how do you transfer what was I think Charing Cross had a really good program from from that to a, a meeting. You know, we've taken decisions on EVF How, which I run, which is in October, to 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 cancel that for this year because I personally don't think we're going to be back to normal by the end of the year. No, you know? and, and and Stephen and I that I agree with you, and that was going to be one of one of my things about. Forget about even being back to normal. What do we all think about how long? And I think it's going to, because as you say, we are all so terribly affected. Some personally, unfortunately, like Roger and, and obviously all of us taking care of patients. When do we think people might even consider getting together en masse and standing, you know, six feet, I mean, less than six feet away from someone at a, at a meeting? I mean, honestly... I think it's going to be a a long time that people are going to feel comfortable, and I and I believe people like you. You're in London. We're in the New York, New Jersey area. Kush is in Chicago. There's a lot of people there that have been getting sick, and I just think that there's going to be a skittishness of of people wanting to come back uh, together for a meeting, and I think we need to. To plan for that, be sensitive to it, like you say, Steve, but but plan for it because I think meetings are going to be a little different going forward for quite a while. What, Nikos? Well, I, I think that's I think that's completely right. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think we're changing anytime soon, and uh, I think we we need to realistically look at all the all the modelling is about on off on off restrictions for a long time until until a vaccine is is genuinely developed. Uh, and so, 
there's opportunities, of course, for research and for engaged ideas about what we do with Venus patients because the first thing that was hit was the Venus patients. You know, uh, the uh, non-life-threatening disease stopped doing it. So, uh, you know, our acute DVT stopped immediately. Clear DVT, which is a big trial that Kush and I are involved in, was stopped immediately. But if we're clever about it, we can we can cohort all the patients that are not getting treatment now and make sure that we follow them. And at the end of it, we we will have a natural uh, patient group that we can we can talk about and we can talk about how we manage this disease that we're all very enthusiastic to treat in a, in an, an environment where that's very difficult. Um, it's quite clear that patients who undergo intervention and get COVID do very, very badly. You know, so in our hospital, we've seen patients really struggle after getting disease. That's a good message to get out and talk about. Uh, I think we've got to couch that in the time that people can manage the messaging as well, that they, you know, that they, they're not just getting home collapsing in a heap, that they're receptive to, 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 to education. And they are clearly a call to people who are doing nothing right now. You know, so there's right. obviously people whose entire uh, you know, hospital has come to a grinding halt they're not able to do anything, but they're not involved in the front line. So there are people with time who, who we need to harness those people to to do things creatively. Yeah, so uh, and uh, the people without time leave alone. All right. So, uh, Tony, talk to us a little bit about, uh, I mean, Kush and I and Nikos and you were on the, uh, the Venus Symposium uh, first uh, virtual uh, webinar. How, how many people did you have? And, and uh, obviously you're planning on more. Yeah, so, I mean, and I understand, you know, what Steve's talking about being uh, conscientious about what everybody's going through. Um, but uh, I think, you know, the, the, there's pockets of areas that people are getting hit really bad, like UK, Italy, Spain, and New York, but there's pockets that still are doing elective procedures. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we are, as educators, we love to teach and this VS virtual was developed in order to be able to have a platform uh, to get some education out there and get people's minds off a little bit of this craziness that we're going through. Um, so, you know, we, we did our, we launched the first event a couple of weeks ago um, and we had a Kush and, uh, um, and uh, Mike, you know, and the three of us involved on iliofemoral DVT. We had about 450 uh, people register and sign up, um, which shows there is interest out there uh, for education, even though things are going kind of crazy, like we said. Um, so so let, let's, do you think that this, uh, Nikos, do you think this is going to become a model going forward that in terms of education, there's going to be much more of a hybrid model, meaning some in-person meetings, but maybe complementing virtual, you know, education through those meetings, just like you, you guys have, have done already. Yeah, Steve, it's very likely because this pandemic is teaching us by default new approaches into education. The, the meeting we did uh, last two weeks ago was very encouraging because, as you saw, there are multiple questions and we address most of them live to the meeting. The advantage of things like that, when recorded, like the sessions we're doing right now, the people can watch the event at their own time at a later stage and can come back and think it's a huge advantage 
that you don't have in, in many of the live meetings. Right. Obviously, like Kush mentioned, you cannot put people staying forever into the, in front of a TV screen. But like in the major meetings, I think that people can go back and forth watching the, the topics that they really care about. But uh, definitely there's a limit into this as well. So let, let, let me ask you here. Let's talk about societies, first of all, going forward. Why, why do we need, if we can make this work in, in, in this, uh, this way, why do we need annual society meetings? Or why do we need annual society meetings to be as long as they are in general? Can this serve as some way that we can learn, get a lot of the work done and a lot of the education done, not physically together, and then do the, the business and the socializing part of, I'm talking about society meetings, not, not, not the Venus Symposium and, or Charing Cross. What, what do you think of, the, of, of that idea? Yeah, I, I think that we're, we're social animals, so we're still going to need the yeah. large meetings to network. And there's the business side and the social side, but even just the personal interaction and feeling like you left with a personal answer to your question that a speaker may have posed or that you can ask a speaker. But I mean, your point is well taken. I think that there's probably going to be a reimagination of how large society meetings like SIR, you know, 7,000 attendees is going to be organized. And maybe we don't need quite as much and maybe we can truncate it a little bit and maybe we think about how it's organized. So that remains to be seen. Um, but I don't doubt that what, that the, what we, what we have in the future is going to be different than what we've had in the past. But I still do think we will end up eventually, as Steve points out with the vaccine, having large gatherings because we just, we really are social animals. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you, if you look at previous pandemics, I mean, yeah, this is something that hasn't happened for a hundred years. Uh, and, but the question is how soon can we get a, a vaccine? How soon can we get some type of cure, not a cure, but something that would prevent you from, you know, going to the end of intubation and, and mortality. And, uh, you know, if a different strain or a different virus pops up, if those things don't happen, then it's going to be a different world. Otherwise, you know, it may take two, three, five years to get back to normalcy. So, let, let me, uh, be a, and again, I'm, I'm bringing up, I'm not saying this is what I think we should do. I'm bringing up ideas for us to discuss. So, Steve, do, do you think that there will be any long-lasting impact in terms of education? We know there's long-term impact on, on society and, and everything else. But is our goal to get back to educating the same way we were prior to COVID? Or is there something we can take away from COVID? How can we educate in a little more hybrid manner, so to speak? Uh, I, I think our goal is not to get back to, we shouldn't go back to business as usual. I think we, we take this opportunity where, uh, you know, from a personal level, I have to say that uh, my travel schedule being severely truncated has been a, a massive boon to my family. You know, so yeah. we've had probably the best family time we've had for, for years uh, in the last four weeks. Uh, so I think we, in this pause, in life, we have the opportunity to to do things different when we reemerge, and I think we find the right balance. I totally agree with Kush. We social animals, and um, 
much of the learning and meetings that I'm involved in is not necessarily the lecture you deliver, but the informal conversation you have afterwards with people who are learning from you. But also from a personal point of view, uh, I have learned an enormous amount that has influenced my own practice from the informal conversations we have with all of you uh, in this room. So, you know, my entire practice has been shaped by all four of the other people on this, on this call by the, the chats I've had on a variety of topics uh, out of out of hours, you know, uh, smoking the cigars that Nikos organized uh, at, at his meeting before with Kush, you know, uh, my whole DVT practice changed, right? So <laughs> I think um, those opportunities, and I don't smoke cigars that often, this is a rarity, you know? So, so the, uh, the, 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 the social engagement is an important part of learning and the informality of things helps. And, and a lot of the, the, the kind of, you know, you think, you think about setting up a trial or setting up a study. It's important to have face-to-face contact with people to, to, to build that level of trust you need in, in the groups that you're doing. So we can't go away completely from uh, physical meetings. Yeah. And, and humans are not uh, isolated. Uh, beings that live in isolation. You only have to look and see what's happening around the world where social isolation is four weeks, five weeks in, where people are totally losing their minds. We are not isolation uh, or we're not beings that practice in isolation. But finding a way to balance those two things, I think there are too many meetings, undoubtedly. I mean, <clears throat> there's meetings all over the world. But finding a package that delivers across the year with the kind of things you guys achieved in the podcast a couple of weeks back, which is great, um, I saw it afterwards. So, you know, the, um, you don't have to be live to see stuff like that. You still get some of the, 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 the learning out of it. Uh, balancing that between actually physically having to travel, but delivering education in a consistent, uh, accessible way. I think that's where we're going to go. And then we've all got much better with zoom, you know, yeah. no, nobody's left to go to the toilet yet with the camera in tow, you know, so everybody's <laughs> learning how to, how, to, how to be on these things. Right? Well, how do you know, how do you know what's going you, on? The better the example here. We don't, know what's go, we don't know what's going on be, below the waist no. of any of us right now. So, okay. We, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but Steve, Steve, yeah, Steve, a real story to show you exactly what Jed is correct. I met Steve in the American Venus Forum and saw his presentation on the MR data about the fibrin load on the front. I had done work 10 years earlier and just forget about it. Then I talked to Steve after the presentation, and this reactivated my interest. I went back to our hospital. A few years later, I had an animal lab working on this project, having done already very important discoveries. And I can tell you, Steve, from London, this would not have happened unless we accidentally met to reactivate my interest on this yeah. topic. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and we all have stories like that. And, and yes, no, we need to be together for sure. We definitely need to be together. But um, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, some of the work, some of the basic work can be done online, so to speak, for a meeting. And then when you get together at the meeting, the socialization and the, the interactive part can occur. But, but you know, you don't, Many meetings are, are not so interactive. Venus Symposium is very interactive, and the uh, SIR was going to be interactive on terms of the vein side. Charing Cross, you have, uh, Steve, the whole you know day of the hands-on workshops as well. And so those are the interactive parts. But the parts where people are just sitting and listening to someone give a lecture, and then a few questions are asked, 
maybe some of that work can be done beforehand, so to speak. And then when you get to the meeting, it's the interactive part of the meeting, the social part of the meeting that is really highlighted. Uh, and, and people can, can shorten their time away. And Steve, I agree with you. From a family viewpoint, if people are doing it right now and they've had to be not going to work every day, this could be a great thing. It's either you're gonna, it's gonna be a really great thing or people are gonna say, forget it. I'm out of here once this COVID thing goes away. But um, most of us are having a, a, a good experience. So I'm, I'm just bringing this up because I, I really would like to move a little bit more about where we see the future in terms of, of education and what have we learned. And, and we're learning a lot. Look, we're just starting into this thing. We've got a couple more months, I'm sure, and even maybe a whole year of where people are not going to feel comfortable being together. But um, where do you see us going, Kush? Uh, going in terms of, of the education aspect? Uh, I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. I see us maybe doing a lot more, or even some more pre-preparation, meaning there will be modules online that attendees will take a look at and go through. And then there'll be a little bit of a brief refresher at the actual in-face meeting. And then just a lot of discussion, because that's why you're really there to have that discussion, to have the debate, to have the back and forth, that it's really hard to have that back and forth in this online forum. No, that, I do. That you can't, so, Tony, oh, sorry, go ahead, finish question. Yeah, no, so I just think that, um, you know, for example, as faculty, we may have to do more of the work beforehand, upload talks in a curated manner. People can familiarize themselves with the subject matter, and then we have much more of a discussion when we actually are face-to-face. Tony, how do you think, uh, what do you think industry is going to be doing with this? Uh, do you think that they are pining for the, the good old days where they, where they were at all these different meetings? Uh, or do you think this is something that uh, we can partner with industry to, to make something different that may be more palatable to industry, but also accomplishes what we want to accomplish? Well, I mean, there's obviously industry's interest is interaction with attendees. So I think if we go virtual 100%, no, no, no. there's really going to be a problem as far as supporting these events. Um, unless we find a way where they have a benefit um, through these virtual meetings for them to support them. Um, but I think part of it is that they're probably somewhat happy to have not have to go to them. I mean, if... If Steve's schedule is crazy, I can imagine some of these companies where they're going to all these meetings yeah. that they have to support and, and, and attend. Um, and I do agree that it should be some combination where maybe, you know, the, unfortunately the material keeps on expanding and we keep on adding things, even in our own meeting, as, you know, Latin session, a small veins session, we're turning it into a four, you know, this year was gonna be almost a four day meeting. Um, AVLS and, and AVF, it's like a four or five day meeting. Yeah. It's very tiring. Um, and it's a lot of time away from work and from your family. So there is probably going to be some combination. And I think that to make the physical part of the meeting, you know, maybe a one or two day event. Yeah. And that would still, industry will get the exposure to those attendees. And, uh, you know, I think they would be happier. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and that's, I mean, I know I'm leading you guys on a little bit with my questions, but that's kind of where I think we are going to wind up with this, this shortened meeting, but a, but a hybrid thing. Um, Steve, what, um, you know, there's going to be a, a lag time here uh, in terms of, uh, of, of our meetings once we even get going again. And do you think we need to plan for that meeting, a meeting that would normally carry 2,000 people or SIR, 7,000 people? That next time you're going to physically get together, do you think anyone's running a meeting has got to think about this is going to be a downsized meeting, even though we can say we can all get together, it's not going to be the same volume? Uh, I think there's, uh, I, I would agree with that, but I think that's also some things that are out with of our control, you know, so th this is going to have a global impact, right? So um, there are going to be people where airlines are going to shut, uh, travel is not going to be as easy. There are going to be people for, you know, for example, all of us where our, our, our income has been significantly impacted on by, by all of this. People may not be in a financial position to travel as freely as they were before. Uh, hospitals are shutting things down where, you know, I know my hospital has banned all, all study leave for the remainder of the year uh, until we're out of this. So I, I think there are going to be, to Tony's point earlier on, is that there are, are areas that have been more or less affected by this. So if you take uh, uh, somebody who's coming out of NYU Langone, right now nobody there is thinking of anything apart from holy crap, how do we get out of this total disaster? Uh, you know, my hospital's in the center of, of the, 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 the area with the highest infection rate in, in the UK. And we, we've, we've gone from, you know, 50-odd ITU beds to 110 patients intubated in four weeks with, you know, around us thousands of patients with COVID. So all of those factors are going to play on, on people's minds. So when, when we're, we're scheduling meetings, to, to come out of this industry is also taking a hammering right now. You know, if you, if you consider, uh, I have a, a friend who, who runs a small distribution company that, uh, that is a purely elective based distribution practice in medicine, his entire business has gone up in smoke in, 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 in two weeks. Yeah. These guys can't survive it. So, you know, the, the kind of small sponsors we relied on, the, the larger companies, Boston Scientific, Medtronic, Koch, Bard, all of them are taking a battering right now because nobody is doing elective angioplasty or whatever. Right. So I, I think all those things that contribute to how meetings get put together are going to be impacted on. So I think none of us really know what that's going to look like. But if we can prepare ourselves for being much more malleable, dynamic, and uh, able to cope with the different things that are going to be thrown at us in the, in the next year and a half while the world gets out of this, we, we're going to be in a strong place. And, uh, and finding ways to educate people about how to recover from, from COVID. We're going to find a whole bunch of patients who are far more complicated to treat because they've had nothing for right. six months. So yeah, right. how do we manage those people? How do we deal with it? You know, Those are the education things I think will be really, really helpful for extrication strategy, even things that's not just treating patients, but how do you, how do you, how did your practice recover 
from COVID? How do you, how do you, you take a practice that's been on pause for six months and rebuild it? I think things like that will be helpful to people. Right, and, and I agree with you. And, and I think that that's going to be one of our biggest challenges is that what you've already said, and, and companies will not have significant amount of monies to spend on meetings like they used to for a while. Physicians are not going to have that money to spend. Physicians are not going to want to be away from their practice. They need to make money. They need to catch up for what, what they have lost. So I know, yeah, four minutes. I got it, Tony. I'm watching. Thank you. Um, yeah, we have four more minutes. So we're going to, that's why I was coming to a summary here. Uh, and so the, the long lasting impact is going to be not yet. It's only one thirty here, Stephen. We're waiting. We're waiting tonight. We're going to drink. Um, the point is that the economic impact is going to be driving, I think, a lot of the education uh, choices that people are going to make and that people running meetings are going to have to uh, decide upon. How can they make their meeting as lean as possible, as relatively short as possible? And so it's not going to cost people a lot of time uh, and a lot of money. So as Tony pointed out, we have now three minutes uh, for, for summing up. Anyone have any, anything else? We, this is a, the beginning of a conversation, as Stephen said, we're at the beginning of the new educational road uh, that we're going down. And I'm sure three months from now, six months from now, this conversation is going to be a little bit different and, and we'll hopefully come back and, hopefully better. and rejoin it. Yeah. As long as we're all here and we're healthy, that's the most important thing. Um, so, so I'm looking at who's most at risk on this code. It cushions the safest of all of us, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right. So I want to thank you guys. Uh, I hope everybody in, enjoyed the uh, the conversation. That's just the beginning of the conversation. More questions and answers, but um, as we go along, we're all learning together. So I want to thank all of you guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's Vein podcast in association with Radcliffe Vascular. We aim to bring you important topics from the Vein world, either topics that we ourselves feel are important or you, our listeners, feel are important. So review us on your favorite podcast app or send your thoughts, comments, and questions to podcast at Radcliffe with an E-group.com. That's podcast at radcliffe-group.com. You can also register to access newsletters, videos, and peer-reviewed journal articles. Thank you. Glad you listened. This is Dr. Steve Elias, and we'll see you on the next Bain podcast. Bain.